Hello everybody, this is the Rude Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Rude, and today is, for me, a rather very awesome interview uh, slash podcast. I have uh, returning guest David Black on the show, which uh, if you've heard the last big interview, uh, I had David on here with uh, Roger Ward and Ron Brown. Uh, he has returned on here, and we also have joining us Brian Trenchard Smith, who you might have heard his name. He's directed movies such as Leprechaun 3 and 4, Night of the Demons 2, and then also some exploitation films such as The Man from Hong Kong, Turkey Shoot, or Escape 2000, uh, Dead End Drive In. BMX Bandits, Death Cheaters, and and many more. Also, we have Andy McPhee, who is an actor who has been on TV shows such as Sons of Anarchy, Wolfred, Wolf Creek TV series, and also Wolf Creek the movie, and uh, several other films. Uh, and uh, one I have to mention, uh, The Dead Center, which is a newer horror film that you can find on Amazon Prime that I highly recommend you all to check out. I I really dug that one. And uh, if you're uh, into newer horror in the veins of like the autopsy of Jane Doe, um, definitely check out The Dead Center. I, I really enjoyed that one and uh, was, was kind of, uh, I want to say, uh, hit by like a curveball on that one because I, I I figured it was gonna be a good one but I I I really enjoyed that one that, that <laughs> it's definitely definitely one uh, you know that I, I recommend uh, everyone checking out if you ever get a chance to watch it or if you have Amazon Prime put that on your watch list it's a good one but uh, Without further ado, uh, I'm just going to play the interview. We didn't really do an intro on uh, the the interview. Once uh, once I got everyone in the chat, we just kind of just went for it. And uh, so this is leading off of uh, Brian talking about uh, his homestead and his kind of life back in and uh, on the uh, West Coast. And then we, you know, we just we just kind of kick off into uh, more of the exploitation. This is kind of a follow up with the exploitation episode I had with Roger Ward, Ron Brown, and, and David Black, and uh, we kind of uh, further explore on uh, on some of, of those topics. We we do dabble into uh, some of the horror genre as well, and then we also talk about uh, Brian Trenchard Smith's new book adventures in the b movie trade so if you guys uh have amazon kindle or anything like that uh brian's book can be bought on uh the digital version like kindle or you can actually buy a physical copy on amazon uh, on amazon prime or uh just amazon directly um it seems like it's it's a very interesting book and i'm actually gonna probably personally have to buy a copy because basically talks about all of brian's uh movies and and just you know more knowledge that brian has on the film industry which 
is uh, widely incredible. So I, I encourage you guys to pick it up. Like I said, I'm going to pick it up myself personally because uh, this guy definitely knows what he's talking about. And, uh, you know, this is just a, a fun conversation to uh, listen to, you know, Brian and, and Andy talk about uh, the films they've worked on. And uh, it's just, just very, very cool to just kind of sit back and listen. Uh, and I, I answered a few questions in there. But, uh, I mean, you know, again, these guys kind of took the reins on, uh, on the show. And uh, I enjoyed every minute of it. So I hope you guys dig this. Um, I will say that the next episode is going to be you know another episode that's going to air very soon after this because uh mortal Kombat, the live action film is going to be coming out april 23rd and i had a discussion with a couple of my buddies about uh the whole franchise and uh you know our thoughts on the upcoming movie and so i wanted to air that before the movie uh came out in theaters so uh you know if you guys are into mortal kombat stick around uh within the next day or two and uh you know we'll be throwing some mortal kombat info at you uh, without further ado here's the interview with brian trenchard smith andy mcphee and david black enjoy decks of houses and oh, uh, wow. they have been infesting and they've been invading this area um so i uh, decided uh, unfortunately much though i love yeah. wildlife uh i can't take that risk um yeah, and where no. they go the rats follow because the rats like the, all the tunnels they make oh so, well but 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 my ravens are very happy whenever i shoot a rat or 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 a gray digger um because i just take it right out to the compost heap lay it down and uh, um it's gone within an hour um, and uh, yeah we have ravens and we have vultures as well um and uh, i mean i i guess you know hollywood has vultures too but uh, uh these are more the feathered variety uh and uh, they're big you know five foot wingspans they're quite something um Anyway, so there, we're not here to talk about vultures, and, and, uh, other than Hollywood vultures. Um, so, gentlemen, what, what can I do for you? Uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome, Brian. Thanks, mate. That's a, a great story. Uh, just quickly before we start, we were up in Portland, Oregon, many, many years ago when uh, my son Cody was shooting the road. We had a, an opportunity to be up there, and it was really, really, really cool place, beautiful place. Mm. Oh, the Road is one of the best post-apocalyptic films ever. The Road, yeah. Well, that was his first film in America. He was yeah. the boy in that, and then from it's now he's working. He just finished working with Tom Hanks in Australia on the Elvis film because he's twenty-two now. Yeah, that's right. He was very good in The Road. I really liked The Road. It, you know, yeah, beautiful it, film. It, it, beautiful film, only marred by some less than ideal earthquake uh, CGI. <laughs> Uh, yeah right. <laughs> you, you actually would have been better off without it. You know, it would have been better off just to have the, you know, a few cracks in the ground, things that you could do practically. I'm a big believer in practical effects. You see, uh, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, I agree. It, it, 
but the 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 content, the script, the way it 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 showed the decline of civilization, and this this man's heroic attempt to keep uh, the boy alive, uh, and and eventually hand him over. Um, it was moving. Uh, is a you know a very effective piece. Of course, it was you know not a big box office success, but uh, everyone admired it. So yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Glad son went on to a good career. Uh, yeah, and- he hasn't stopped actually. He's just um, yeah, he's uh, he, he's doing really well. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, it's an honour to meet you and uh, all these other gentlemen here. Yes, well, thank you. No, the honour is mine because Andy and. Uh, Brian, you're at the top. I mean, I, I, I didn't see VMX Bandits, but I've seen The Man from Hong Kong, Dead End Driving, Turkey Shoot. <laughs> you're the inspiration. Actually, maybe you're the blame for why I'm making films. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have been a corrupter of youth. <laughs> it's my oh, role. I'm 56 now. That's well, yeah. Hey, fifty-six is the new thirty-five. You know, uh, it's just as me. I'm I'm coming up seventy-five, and uh, I feel it's the new forty. Um, but you know, I haven't uh, because of COVID. I've had to be very isolated. Uh, I've just been. I'm I'm now double vaccinated and I'm made safe for democracy. Uh, and I've done my. I've waited my extra two weeks and uh, resumed swimming again. Um, which is the thing that keeps you young when you're my age. So I've been swimming, you know, several times a week for 20 years. Um, did that in LA and, uh, and there's a, there's a local pool here, though it was closed for several months, but I haven't actually gone there because of COVID pre- precautions until the day before yesterday. But I found that even after I hadn't swum for a year, I could still do 40 minutes of laps without feeling tired. So I guess, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, that that's good to know. It's the it's the Oregon air and the water, um, and the beer and the weed. Uh, but but between all those ingredients, it sort of uh, keeps me young. We were talking with Roger Ward just one week ago. Oh, Roger! What a wonderful man! I love Roger. Yep. Yeah. We we had uh, yeah. Roger Ward on here, and then uh, also Ron Brown, uh, which we found out. Uh, did some editing on Mad Max, which we were unaware of. And then, you know, he also owns uh, Ozflix, which is sort of the Netflix of Australia. So he had some wonderful stories to tell as well. Yeah. I loved all of the background stuff with um, Turkey Shoot. Can we check if some things uh, are real or not, like explosions in the water to get rid of crocodiles and men under the water? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. And Steve Relsback did feel something wriggled and brushed against his leg uh, in that that uh, salt in in that channel leading out to the sea. Um, yeah, it was after we we dynamited the uh, uh, the channel. Um, so something wriggled and went past him, <laughs> and whether it was a large fish, uh, whether it was a small croc, uh, I don't know. But. He didn't know <laughs> know anything about the crocodiles because we, we didn't tell him uh, saltwater crocs can come up these channels. Um, but we just thought, okay, a couple of sticks of jelly knife will definitely uh, deter <laughs> them because they don't like the vibrations uh, and they all stay away from that part of the water. So it, it, as soon as we'd done that, we brought Olivia and uh, Steve to the bank and I uh, said, okay, time to 
get in and swim and then uh, get up this channel than they duly do. Oh, and wow. said when, yeah, he said, oh, I felt something brush against my leg when I came here. Yeah, oh, 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 good, Steve. I know what that is brushed against your leg, uh, as opposed to <laughs> um, uh, anyway, so uh, <laughs> I guess it sounds a little cavalier, but it was just the locals said, you know, if you're going to put people in there, probably better throw a stick of gel ignite in. Okay. You know. Yeah, I was told there was a fire in that. Is that true? I'm sorry? I was told when they were shooting, there was some live fire. It would have been well, blanks, wouldn't it? Um, well, uh, generally, yeah, everything was was blanks except for there's a shot of Michael uh, Michael Craig taking aim. You know, in the in the, when Bill Young gets riddled with arrows from Carmen Duncan, or uh, uh, he's shooting at uh, Bill Young from another direction. Bill Young's firing, uh, you know, bursts from his M16 back. Um, so. We had a, the, there were some bushes behind uh, Michael. Uh, so we put the camera in front of Michael, then we put Michael there, and then the bushes were behind him. And then we had two guys with, a shot, with shotguns who were then five feet behind Michael, pointing at the bushes that were behind him. And they blasted the bushes with um, you know, shotgun pellets. Uh, and oh, wow. Them down. Now, you, was that unsafe? No, because you know the, the shooters were had their back to um, the actor um, and were pointing their weapons away from the actor, and there was nothing behind the bushes you know, for miles. So yeah, that I, I felt that was justified, and and you know we. You know, we had, had time constraints, and rigging um, pyro takes time, um, whereas a, a shotgun blast um, does not. Uh, so that was one instance. That's an instance that has not been generally reported. The thing that was reported uh, was a complaint by uh, Glenn Boswell, uh, that uh, that in the river crossing, um, where, as I understand, the effects boys um, were firing little um, pellets into the water to get the water splashes up. Apparently, Glenn got a chip or a piece of the twenty-two caliber bullet. Uh, in, you know, bounced into his arm and yeah and uh, and that you know that was completely unknown to me until it was reported later uh, and I certainly sort of said hey you know if you can't shoot ball bearings at the at, you know, go shoot 22 uh, caliber slugs instead I would never have authorized that so I don't know how that happened but it was wrong uh, and uh, it was one of those things in an industry where we were still kind of learning on the job and there were young people coming into the business who were not uh, perhaps as well trained as they might have been. Um, so um, anyway, I think, you know, Glenn, you know, I, I totally accept Glenn's you know, story and, and I was appalled that that happened. Luckily, it didn't do him any significant damage and, you know, could have hit him in the eye. It could have killed him, I suppose. Uh, so, 
Um, but, you know, um, that's, yeah, that's one of the four stories. But it, it, we, we learned by, by degrees to make everything much Whoa. safer. Uh, the first time I said I was on had John Fox as the armorer, and uh, you, even though they were blanks, it's actually dangerous. The what I'm told is um, because there's no bullet in there. If that um, gun is close to you, it will make a bigger hole than a bullet because of the force of the gas. And uh, John would only hand, um, well, his assistant would only hand you the gun three seconds before the um, before the cameras rolled. And they take the gun off you straight away. Yeah, yeah Tom Fox has been around quite a long time, um, and I've heard him say that on sets too. Like where I've had to use shotguns, and uh, I was asking one of the armourers about the shotgun I had to use a sawn off, and he said, "Yeah, absolutely." He said, "You'll you'll kill someone if you, um, especially with a shotgun, if you're close to them and let it go." He said, "It'll kill them because of the force of what's coming out of that." Uh, you know that cartridge mm -hmm. interesting well in the man from hong kong if you noticed uh when samo gets assassinated at the uh you know federal courthouse in, in, in new south wales supreme courthouse in, in in sydney uh shot from uh, the you know grant page the sniper on the roof of the, in the building behind um i wanted an you know, he was shot in the back and i wanted it to be a surprise during a dialogue scene uh, and see suddenly bang and a, an exit wound from his chest. And I had a nice, you know, white polo neck you know, skivvy on, on, uh, on, on Samo for that purpose. Uh, but we didn't want to put a, an obvious um, squib that would stick out from his, uh, you know, under his, you know, under his you know, white, uh, polo neck and uh, uh, it, and particularly given Samo's bulk it, it might have shown so David Copping the art director said uh, and Monty Figuth who was uh, one of our props guys and they were sort of doing a little bit of, uh, of you know, physical effects said well we've got a, short, a small sawn off shotgun uh, with a quarter load uh, and we put a bit of uh, yeah, makeup blood soaked um, wadding and blotting paper in it. Oh, right. From a safe distance, we will fire that at Samo's chest. Uh, and <laughs> Samo said, Fine by me. You know, I'm a Hong Kong stuntman. I can take that. Um, <laughs> you know, what you see is what you get. It looks like, yeah, uh, suddenly, whack, there's a, um, you know, a, a splat of blood on his chest that. You know, seems to be coming. You know, the, that slightly that having after impact, it it, it it falls forward a bit, so it feels like an exit wound. Um, oh wow, but, that's cool. Um, but I think the the issue is full loads and half loads and quarter loads, uh, and so you minimize the impact of the. The, the let's say the blast the flame with the by minimizing the the explosive uh, that is with which it is loaded now yeah would it would seem with the death of brandon lee um a, a whole combination and, and whether you're aware of the circumstances uh the the, the combination of unfortunate circumstances where <clears throat> the actual gun 
had been used by the second unit for insert shots overnight uh, for shots of bullets being loaded into the gun. <clears throat> and they were unaware that when they took the bullets out, the actual shell had detached from uh, the cartridge of, of, of the, the fake bullet. And so it remained in the barrel. And uh, then when it came time for um, Brandon Lee to be shot by you know, an actor I worked with uh, in, in, uh, in 1995, Michael Massey, he... He was the one who shot Brandon Lee, um, and uh, he was asked to use, well, he was given the gun, and the gun had a full, full load in it. It was to give a, so in a profile shot, you would see flame coming out of the barrel, and he was to fire off, um, you know, he was to fire at a target that was beside, you know, off screen beside Brandon Lee. So from the camera's point of view, it would look he was, look, he, it seemed that he was firing directly at him, but if he uh, fired yeah, two feet to the right, the camera wouldn't notice, and there would be no wadding that would hit Brandon. But unfortunately, the actor was in the moment, uh, and, you know, couldn't yeah you know, he, he was playing the part and he pointed the gun at Brandon and that in fire and that would not have been a problem if there hadn't been this leftover shell casing in the barrel which was then projected uh, yeah into into Brandon Lee and uh, hit oh, well. um, so there are so many little circumstances that you that you need to be able to predict um, and that uh, to prevent such things happening, um, and, mm. uh, uh, you know, uh, and uh, so you know, I I have to say, as far as safety is concerned, I'm I'm very grateful that you know nothing terrible ever happened on one of my films. There were some accidents, yeah. uh, but you know, nothing that people you know, were, you know had lifelong injuries from, and. Uh, mm. you know, Poor Herbie Nelson had a pair of broken ankles when the button, the motorbike, you know, skidded and he didn't he was deaf and was not wearing his hearing aids and he didn't turn and didn't hear it and it pinned him against the car and broke you know, he had broken ankles. He was you know, given compensation uh, and particularly for the next job that he lost as a result of that while he recovered. Um, but you know uh, that you know, that was you know. <clears throat> that was obviously, you know, uh, a, a bad thing, and <coughs> there, there were circumstances that I that I could go into. Uh, again, a chain of, of miscommunications uh, that resulted in that happening. Um, yeah, if the motorbike had had power, uh, he would have heard it, but the motorbike uh, failed, and so just to get that last part of the shot, they towed it into up to speed so it was gliding towards him uh, well. and he had taken his hearing aids off uh, because uh, he, he thought he didn't want the cameras to see them not that, that he was not a regular character in the filming <laughs> he could have been a, a bystander with hearing aids anyway I, I, I'm sorry but it, it's not his fault um, Andy, poor there would have been a lot of guns sorry yeah. Andy, there would have been a lot of guns with uh, Sons of Anarchy. 
Uh, yeah, there was. I've done, like, even in, um, uh, you know, things like Fat Pizza, when I've been in that, we've always used guns. Uh, yeah, I've used, I've worked with uh, Foxy and um, there's a couple other guys I've worked with and over here. But I find now all these, um, the safety aspect now with the armourers is, like, they're really, um, they make sure that, all of us know that that gun, like Brian was saying, like if they saw that shell, but now they make sure you can see down the barrel, you double check it every single time when you get a weapon, which, yeah, you know. That, um, that's, that's, that, that. I mean, after the Brandon Lee incident, it was sort of universal really across the, the world, and I certainly enforced it on my set. Uh, you know, show the act of the gun, open it up, show the barrel, show that there's nothing yeah. in the gun, uh, close it up, give it to him, take it away as soon as he's done. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, yeah, that works perfectly. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and e even when it's a prop gun, you say, this is a prop gun, but I'm going to show you it's a prop gun and and so on. Yeah. Well, you, you've got, and plus too, the actor's got to take his responsibility as well to make sure that if, even if, he has a slight doubt. He can always ask the armor again to bring the gun and double check it. Yeah, I think um, you know, in the Brandon Lee case, you know, it was an independently funded production, uh, maybe under budgeted, uh, over ambitious, uh, people working fourteen-hour days. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody lost focus and. Uh, you know, yeah, uh, uh, and you know it, it happens, uh, but but gradually people develop safety systems to prevent this sort of thing happening again. Uh, so, you know that that is good. I mean, the, yeah, the worst accidents occur, you know, and when things are changed at the last minute without everyone yeah. understanding what they are. That, yeah stunt accident in South Africa a few years back left somebody paralyzed as a result of that. Uh, so it's very important that everyone knows exactly how the shot goes from A to Z. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, yeah, and nothing changes once they know that. So I, It's funny I um, talking about uh, like motorbikes because I still ride bikes. Um, I was in um, I was in the first underbelly, so I got to ride in that. And that was cool. But then I was with John Howard in Stingers, and had a, he was playing a bikey, and I was playing a, the opposite uh, outlaw bike club president. And um, we had to come flying around this corner on our on our Harleys, and so we did the shot. The stunt guy said, "This is the mark you got to hit when you come around the corner from the pub, and come in pretty hard, and then stop here." And so they said, we'll film the first take, and we did it. I come flying around the corner, and I hit the back brake, and it went into a skid, and the back wheels went out to the right, and then it straightened up and stopped right on the X. Like, inside me, I'm going, ah, oh, damn it, so I've messed it up, but it stopped right on the X, and the stuntman comes up and goes, uh, it's always good to work with guys who know what they're doing, and I went, yep, in my head, I went, if only you knew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, one yeah. of my first sets. I had a lucky coincidence like that, and that was uh, John Fox with squibs. Um, they put the electronic explosion on my front and my back, and uh, 
the I was just being instructed by too many people, so and I've got a hearing impairment, so I had no hope in hell of doing anything that I was told. But they told me we, we've put two of them on you um, because we uh, we've only got the money just to shoot this once, so you're actually going to be two people. One person's been shot out the back and one person from the front. And they said, we want you to move into the first explosion, then twist yourself around for the second. Well, the explosion threw me, so I just naturally twisted and did everything because of the explosion. And mine was just a lucky um, a lucky shot. Everybody came off and said, hey, this guy's fantastic. Let's put him on more sets. <laughs> That's good. So I want to know if any of you have actually read my book, uh, Adventures in the B-Movie Trade. I'm planning on it. I'm planning on getting the PDF. Yeah, I have well, not seen it yet, or uh, read it yet, but I plan on doing so as well. well it's a phone book. It's got everything you ever want to know. Oh, well. Is that, um, pages? Is that possible uh, to get on Audible at all? Uh, no, I haven't done an audio book of it yet, though I'm, okay. I will at some point. But, look, it depends where you get it. I mean, if you get it in the United States, it's 20 bucks, uh, you know, 580 pages, 200 pages oh, of photographs. Okay. If you uh, can't afford 20 bucks and you can afford 9.99, you can get it on Kindle. Uh, I think right. that's better yeah. than the PDF, really. You see, even if you don't have Kindle... Uh, you can still buy it on Kindle and get it downloaded to your computer on a read-only basis. Uh, and yeah, there you've right. got it on your computer and you own it. Um, and, uh, um, you yeah, you can snack on it. It's very sort of snackable. Uh, there are lots of... Oh, yeah. lots of That'd be interesting. interesting. Well, what I do, because I drive a bit, um, I've got the app called Natural Reader, and then I put the PDF onto Natural Reader, and then it... it does this while I'm driving it just reads it out to me oh that's interesting I, I didn't know about that well yeah, part of the yeah, deal of the book right. is it's it, 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 it having the illustrations that back up some of the points that I'm making you know when I'm talking about editing when I'm talking about you know different styles of you know promotion for of artwork for movies uh, you know or how a stunt is done and uh, you see this stage of it, you see that stage of it, and then you get another photograph. Uh, so, um, it, well, I'm, I'm writing about a visual medium. So, uh, oh, cool. Yeah, uh, I'll get it. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, you'll, you'll, you'll have fun. You'll certainly have a few laughs, uh, and uh, particularly if you've had any dealings with executives. Uh, does you, uh. Do you cover a lot with Ausploitation? Do I, do oh, I cover yeah. a lot of... Yeah, well, I mean, I the Aussie films. Yeah, I mean, I I cover. Look, I've made forty-one uh, long forms and forty-three episodes of television. Made a hundred trailers till I stopped counting. Uh, countless hundreds of television promos um, and, and so forth. So I cover every single film that I made from uh, you know. From the, from the moment that I joined, uh, well, from my early experiences uh, taking sensor cuts out of movies for an uh, a, a, a exploitation distributor in, in the UK, um, and occasionally being told to put them back in again after the board had passed the movie, uh, so that the, that particular pr 
print would go out into the provinces where it would never, no one would ever know the differences. You know, they would just, you know, they wouldn't do that for a, a London print, for instance. But maybe Manchester would get the shots. Oh, you can see our tits. Oh, I didn't know they let that through. Oh, so that was my first job in 1964. Um, so if anybody's listening and they want to get into acting and directing, they can go to you on your book for directing and what happens behind the scenes, and then to Andy as a coach. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, it, no, I, yeah, well, I just built up my intensive um, that I'm doing on Zoom, which is good. So, um, yeah, I enjoy coaching. Uh, I've got some wonderful uh, clients, a young, a young kid, 22, he's uh, high-functioning autism. Started working with him six years ago, and, man, I'll tell you what, this kid's awesome. I won't go into that just now, but um, I hope he wants to actually write. He's written eight books. Two of them were bestsellers about a journey of a life with autism um, on, on Amazon, and he wants to write uh, a film script. He's already written a 500-page book on um, Moses, like uh, the, the journey of Moses. But, yeah, amazing guy. So I'm, I'm going to get him that book that you wrote, Brian, and send it to him because it's the area he wants to get into. Well, yeah, I mean, I wrote the book not just for vanity, you know, and vanity. inevitably all, all directors are narcissists to a degree. I like to think that I'm a benign narcissist as opposed to the uh, former president of the United States. Um, but uh, uh, I, you know, I, I wanted to show a personal journey of, of you know, of you know, a, a young man who wanted to make movies and, you know, naturally it, all sensible people at that time said, oh, don't be silly, do something sensible, you know, join a bank, you know, <laughs> join the army, you know, find a proper career. Um, and, you know, very unlikely, you know, anyone who wants to make movies is going to make movies. And that, I suppose, is true. But uh, my point is, if you really want to, to do something in life, you have to apply yourself uh, and really study your field and become obsessed with it and just push, 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 look for every opportunity to display your skills and build your skills. You don't have all your skills straight away. You have to acquire them. <clears throat> my later films, I think, are a little bit better than my earlier films in some respects. So there's something about the man from Hong Kong that was... I just sort of hit the mark, um, yeah, you know, start. But um, uh, so it's it's an example of uh, of you know overcoming obstacles uh, and yeah. career both in Australia and then subsequently in America. And so I offer it as as an an inspiration and also a catalogue of lessons learned. Uh, so um, I think in that regard, it is useful for anybody entering any field of the recorded entertainment business. Yeah, oh, that's actually great, uh, Brian, because uh, I start this class in a week and um, I do a lot of mentoring. And uh, my class is actually based around exactly what you just said. I tell people that, you know, 
if you love this industry, go in with it, love, but you also got to have the, the reality that it is going to be a bumpy road and there's going to be a lot, probably a lot more downs and then there'll be a few ups and then there might be more ups and then a couple more downs. It's like a big roller coaster that just continually keeps going, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I, in 1975, I, I was doing a stunt show with Grant Page to promote the man from Hong Kong and I was, uh, Hailed from the pavement, there were about 200 people watching at the University of Texas in El Paso. And said, hey, you want to meet an actress? And well, what director does want to meet an actress? So I come over and I see, uh, you know, standing beside this this man was, you know, a, a, a tall, you know, 20 year old blonde, uh, you know, looking extremely embarrassed and uh, staring at the crack in the pavement because uh, she had no idea he was going to do that. And so I came up and uh, he said, would you have any advice for a young girl just starting out in this business? Because she'd won the Best Actress Award at the university two years running. So, uh, you know, I just thought for a moment, I said, well, and this is advice I would give to anybody in the business, including your, your son. Uh, um, whatever you do, don't lose your soul. Um, and... Uh, she, you know, took that on board, and I married her 16 days later. <laughs> Nine of which I was away. That's impressive. Yeah. She's downstairs now baking bread for me. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Um, I know Andy doesn't have as much time as, as say, all, all of us, so I had a couple questions for Andy. Um, I, I actually do have a, a Wilfred... Halloween costume that uh, I almost won best costume for at a Halloween party a couple years ago, and I didn't think that would be appropriate to wear on the podcast. Uh, but I know that you've worked <laughs> on on Wilfred, so I I thought that was really cool. Um, but uh, <laughs> you know, for for this being a horror podcast, uh, you know, you have worked in a couple of horror movies. Uh, you know, probably the biggest one was uh, Wolf Creek. But uh, I really highly enjoyed uh, The Dead Center, which is on Amazon Prime. And, and you have a, a pretty prominent role in that. And then uh, the short horror film called The Home, uh, which the tr I've only seen the trailer to, but it looks freaking awesome. And uh, I was wondering if you could tell us any stories about working on those films. Um, well, for Wolf Creek, for a start, um, the whole idea, and sorry, uh, Brian, I, I was dropping my friend off at the VA, uh, to get his operation here today. So I, I heard what you said about, uh, meeting your wife. Uh, I love stories like that. That's just, that's so cool. Like beautiful story, mate. I love that. You know, and, and you just don't, you, you don't know, do you? You have no idea what's around the corner. No, absolutely. Um, and, uh, no, that's, uh, no, so good. I'm glad glad you like that. And I, I'm the yes. beneficiary of uh, I, I married a saint and um, uh, who makes Beautiful. bread amongst other things. <laughs> yeah. well, I, did, also, I just wanted to comment because I didn't comment when you finished because I was no, that's my okay. No, I'm good. Well, I, I mean, but I hope you know Cody as uh, you know his soul is is safe. Oh, uh, look. Let me tell. And look, I'll, I'll get back to you, Marcus, in one sec. 
I, I travelled with Cody. Um, his whole, he never went to an acting school, nor, neither did his sister, Shanoa, who's an, a brilliant actress. And um, they never went to acting school. I coached them. I, I was really honoured to be able to be on set with Cody in every single movie. I had the permission of every director, um, to every project he worked on to be there. And if there was anything at all that was not working, I, I could say to John Hillcoat, I could say to Matt Reeves when he did um, uh, Let Me In, that horror film. And I, I coached him personally. We traveled all over the world and to this day, um, Cody and me have just, I'm separated from the family. That happened a few years ago, but we're all good. Um, but Cody's just got the best soul. Like I, I can tell you, Brian, if you sat and had a chat with Cody, um, it would probably go on for hours because he has an incredible soul. He has an incredible insight. Like Matt Reeves wanted Cody to, um, uh, you know, uh, maybe eventually you know coach uh, like mentor him as a director because he has got a brilliant director's mind i always believe cody's going to end up directing and the acting will just take another path you know mm -hmm. um, he had a, an early yeah. start with uh, the road how old is he in the road uh well he had before that he was awarded an afi with eric banner for romulus my father that was before oh, the road yeah, well, that's that's how he got into America because Eric's a beautiful guy. Eric rang WME and said, "You've got to come. You've got to bring this kid over to America and check him out." And that's how it started. So, uh, you know, really, Eric Banner's just got a wonderful, you know, heart and soul to just do that for Cody. That's how we all ended up here. You know. Oh, Eric's um, amazing. I saw him on Munich. I thought, how can this guy be playing an Israeli so perfect? And then you see him playing an American. Um, what was it, Black Hawk Down, was it? That he was, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's, he becomes all of these different nationalities and the act, accent mm. and the mannerisms. Yeah. Well, him. Eric, I mean, uh, sorry, Marcus, I'm getting back to you. <laughs> um, <laughs> but Eric, as everybody knows, Eric, um, his first thing was Poiter. You know, he was a stand-up um, comedian who did, um, you know, in... in impressions and all crazy characters and that's where he's got a great skill um and in his role um but getting back to wolf creek uh yeah so the role i had in that um that was the red herring you know like it was meant to be a lot of people were thinking that i was the um the the actual guy who was you know killing the people so all that stuff in the pub um had to be uh, menacing enough. And I guess the most important part, and even Greg um, said that when the scene finished and the couples walked out, the two girls and the guy, um, I just gave them this one look uh, as they went out the door and they held on that look. Um, and that was enough to set people up to think that when the van, uh, the car rolled up, it was me. So it's all. It's all what I love. It's all those little tricks. Now, um, Brian and you guys will like this. When I got cast in that, some actors think you get cast because you're really talented, right? Well, hopefully you are. But Greg said to me, the reason I cast you, one of the reasons was in the audition, you were doing the role sitting at the table and you scratched your, your stomach. He said you did this little scratch like this, which is a habit I do. I don't know why I do it. 
And he said, I really loved that. And it added a little bit to the character. He said, that was one of the main reasons. I said, oh, my acting talent didn't help. Okay. So that's yeah, cool. But, but the itch did. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The itch did. <laughs> yeah, I hear yeah. so. My itch got me a, a, an iconic role in the great Australian horror film. Oh, well, that, that's, that's funny. Well, look, you know, people get breaks it. for all sorts of reasons. I mean, the only reason that Michael Caine uh, got the, the role in Zulu, which was the initial role that made him, and because he got that, people looked at him a bit again and thought, oh, well, maybe he could be Harry Palmer in the Ipcris file and so forth. And he was up yeah. and up there on. But the only reason, because uh, suddenly the actor cast you know, dropped out for some reason, and uh, so within three days they had to get someone, and they, they got Michael Caine, who had not had a particularly distinguished career, you know, in his 20s as an actor. Um, you'll see him in a sort of un uncredited one-line part in, uh, um, in The Day the Earth Caught Fire, one of the Hammer films. Uh, and he did little bit parts, and he got, uh, uh, yeah, little television roles, but, uh, you know, he, 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 he didn't click until he got that one opportunity. So, you know... Um, maybe you're going to be the people going to cast you as a red herring more often, uh, and uh, <laughs> to be to be the the wrong suspect. Uh, uh, maybe that special look that you do. Uh, you know, speaking of like the the Hammer films, uh, I guess I could. Touch yeah, up on you're right, Brian. <laughs> the itch. The itch. Yeah. So Hammer. Yes, I made trailers for Hammer horrors. Vampire lovers, lesbian vampires, oh, love them. Uh, and uh, Frankenstein must be destroyed. One of those titles unlikely to be achieved um, because they need him for sequels. Uh, and Horror of Frankenstein, I did those three. And Moon Zero Two, um, were four I did for, for Hammer, trailers that I did. It's fun. Yeah, fun. So the, like the legit oh, trailers. Awesome. Sorry, or second. So did you do like the the actual original trailers, or were these yes. like? Yeah, you can find them on YouTube. And if you go to a website called trailersfromhell.com, um, I've done about ninety uh, curated trailers where I narrate over the trailer. You can see the oh, trailer wow. in its original form. And then I narrate over it and talk about the movie, how it did, what went on behind the scenes, etc., etc. Um, and some of the ones I've done have been trailers that I actually made myself. Well, oh, yeah, wow, I have seen great. a few of them, and uh, you know, and some of the knowledge that you put into some of these trailers from House is just amazing. I, I've learned a lot just from watching maybe a handful of your trailers. And oh well, that's. That, but thank you very much. Well, when this podcast is over, I will uh, yeah, uh, fine-tune my script for um, my trailer from hell um, uh, on uh, Stephen Chow's Kung Fu Hustle. Okay. Which is a great <laughs> film. Uh, and, uh, yeah, anyway, I'll, I'll deliver it next week, and uh, it'll go into their library, and they'll put it on when they feel like um, and uh, so it's a fun thing. I'm, I'm going to do Atomic Blonde, uh, which is another favorite of mine. Uh, 
Do you oh, need yeah. to cover yeah. your own stuff like Dead End Drive-In? Mm-hmm. Yes, Dead End Drive-In. What about it? Everything about it. Anything you want to tell me. <laughs> I, I first watched yeah. that because I saw that you had a punk on it or a couple of punks. And I was just getting into punk and here was a punk movie made in Australia. Mm. Yeah, uh, it was great. I mean, uh, it's actually a, quite a political film and uh, uh, and it's certainly quite prescient, uh, yeah, particularly in, in regards to immigration issues. Aha, yes. Now that guy never appeared in the film. He is a complete fabrication by the U.S. distributor uh, to try and give a clockwork orange quality to. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, they 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 didn't really know how to sell the film, so they thought, well, maybe we can sell it as a drive a horror film set in a drive-in, and uh, so they they went with that. I, yeah, they, that was what they felt safe for. I mean, they they wanted to dub the Australian voices. And we objected, and so, and they actually, we understand, they actually went ahead and recorded the soundtrack, and it exists somewhere with all the Australian voices uh, turned into American voices, um, just as they did with Mad Max 1. Uh, and uh, so, uh, but we said, no, this is going to be the rule, there'll be legal implications, uh, because you have the right to do it, but... We are obliged to have to give every member of the cast an opportunity to record their own voice with an American accent, uh, if that's required for your release. And they decided uh, uh, that was going to, yeah, that was in the too hard basket, uh, and prepared to pay for it. They weren't prepared to pay for it, so they went out with our original soundtrack, but they they halved the size of the release. Uh, and basically saw it as something to uh, window for uh, VHS release, which was, you know, it's generally what happened to a lot of foreign films in the U.S. Australia was, you know, we made foreign films in a way, unless they could be dubbed into American. Um, uh, So, you know, it went out as a second half of a double bill and drive-ins and, you know, one-week filler. And it was never really given the proper platform that it, the ideas it contained and its visual desires. Uh, uh, of course, you could say for an action picture, it didn't have enough action. Uh, so they, I guess they figured, okay, we won't sell it as an action picture. Maybe we can sell it as a horror movie. Uh, anyway, it, it, it shipped 40,000 uh, units and in its initial VHS release, and of course, uh, but unlike in Australia, where it was you know, either dismissed with a sniff or, or you know, roundly criticised by Australian critics who have somehow become bored with Australian films, rather self-important, uh, and, uh, then in America it was it was nonetheless, despite its limited release. Um, treated quite differently by critics um, and you know Michael Wilmington of the LA Times gave it a stellar review the uh, Hollywood Reporter did so so did Variety oh, wow. and it got picked up and and then you know soon enough when DVD came along um, Anchor Anchor Bay picked it up and 
it's been recirculating on DVD and Blu-ray ever since. Um, oh, wow. Right. Uh, so it, it was a much appreciated film outside of Australia. But in Australia, it said uncomfortable things about Australian society, about police corruption, about government uh, you know, policies, uh, and uh, about you know, inherent systemic racism. Uh, I had some difficulty in uh, keeping that that level of social criticism uh, in, but I was able to maintain it. I think to the next level. <coughs> well, I have a friend, Brian. Do you know Ray Mooney? I believe so, but I'm. It's been a long time. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ray's had that similar pro like he's a, a great writer. He does heavy duty crime and a lot of it's based on experiences he's had in his time where he shares when he's in H division and you know, back in that time. But he just he struggles with getting him out because it, it comes across oh no, it's a bit too hardcore for um now I'm only quoting, I'm not saying it's hundred percent, but he, he says it it just gets turned down a lot because it's it's too too tough, too hardcore, and too real. But I've read a lot of the scripts, and they're really amazing. You know, they really are. But uh, yeah, there's a couple. Of, another friend of mine, James D. Martino, who was in his film, The Faceless Man. Oh I yes, that's one I, I remember. I mean, I liked yeah. The Faceless Man. And yeah, I, wasn't I, it great? Like, uh, yeah. yeah, awesome. I, and he's I, only I, a young uh, filmmaker. Yeah, he, he's definitely very talented, and you can tell that really. From the first yeah. shot is a very daring, yeah. When you open, yeah. that was a balls to the wind uh, way to open the movie with that long steady cam shot uh, that you know, delineates the, uh, un, un, you know, the, the well, it it, it, it it introduces the central character and gives hints yeah. as to the problems that she has and things that you know might happen and. Uh, I, 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 you know, my, I take my hat off to him for, for doing that, and uh, because if that shot hadn't worked, it, you know, the, it'd be very hard to reinflate the balloon, let's say, uh, <laughs> after that. Uh, so you were in that. I forget which bastard you were. You were one of the uh, bastards. I, sure. I was the guy who they were renting the house off, and. Um, yeah, he was, he was sort of betraying to be this crazy sort of guy and, you know, took him through the house. But in the end, you know, I'm the one that's uh, who's actually killing a lot of the people. But yeah, the, the right. character's got to play this silly, just weirdo sort of guy, a bit quirky, like every time he walks through the house and he's always talking about, you know, oh, you're young guys here, you're going to have a threesome, I suppose, when I leave. And I just kept repeating that same joke, like every room we came into, hey, this is a good room for a threesome. Like, and they're just thinking, oh, this guy's off his head. But then, you know, without giving too much away in the end, you see that he's, um, you know. It makes everyone uncomfortable and you don't know if he's going to snap or if he's just, uh, if, if he's just the embarrassing uncle that's harmless. Yeah, mm. I know, right? Yeah. So yeah. you don't want to say About anything that. in case he snaps. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. It's good. I, I, I really thought the film was uh, yeah, a trip. Um, I, I got a tiny bit lost towards the end with you know, you know, the, 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 the kind of multiple endings. But, uh, mm. uh, but I, I enjoyed it and I thought it was a, a really interesting uh, 
piece of work from someone who is obviously going to develop into um, uh, a considerable filmmaker. Now, well, I've, you know, there was a lot of stress, Brian. Like, I, you know, James, look, gosh, he he put so much. You said before about, you know, if you want this, you've got to put your heart and soul into it. And he actually did. And I don't think you'll mind me saying it, but it really took a toll on him personally and his health there for a little bit. But he just didn't quit. He just kept at it. And I, I take my hat off to him for that, just for the fact that, mm. um, you know, if he wasn't if he wasn't as passionate about his project, it could have fallen apart. You know. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, he was self-financing. Others. Um, you know, are you familiar with Ben Hall, the the big um, one from Matthew Holmes? I'm told he really started losing weight on his, and and it almost yeah. Almost destroyed well, him. because they're young guys who are raising. Like I was in Ben Hall. I played one of the real characters out of that, the Irish. Um, I forget his name now, but he's based on real characters. And, you know, you watch these young filmmakers and honestly, I, I, I it's not my bag. I wouldn't, I, I don't want that stress, you know, but their, their passion overtakes the stress. Like Matthew is still making films about, he's got a passion for bushrangers and the history of Australia. So you watch these guys do it. Yeah, we all roll up. We're all there, we get fed, you know, we get looked after, you know, you get paid, you're doing everything. But you just forget behind the scenes what it's actually like for these young guys who don't have a lot of money and they, some of them have used their own money or they beg, borrowed and steal. And boy, I'll tell you what, that's a lot of stress. But, you know, when they complete their project, I just think um, they deserve such a huge pat on the back for just achieving what they set out to, you know. Yeah, well, I, I hope James makes a little bit of money out of the film. I mean, it should have had much more attention in Australia uh, than yeah. it did. I tried to give it a, as much of a boost as I could um, because, mm. you, know, I, you know, James is he's the new face of Ausploitation. Um, yeah. And, you know, Ausploitation has not died. It just has, it is, you know, it has evolved. And this yes, is yes. interesting. Oh, um, it's definitely not dead. I've got two films that are about to drop. Now, they're not my first films, but it's just that I've got 35 shorts or 40 shorts, 10 music videos, and uh, and a series uh, called Horror House. So finally, because of everything got held up because of this uh, apocalypse, you know, the COVID, but I've got Badass Bunyip about to fall. That's our exploitation. And I've got uh, Toxic Alien Zombie Babes from Outer Space. So I'm not the only Aussie filmmaker. I can mention about 10. And they have all put their heart and soul into it. And I'm about to join the ranks with two of them. No, so we're keeping it alive. And uh, yeah. we, as young filmmakers, we do look up to uh, guys like Brian Trench and Smith. And uh, and Andy McPhee, because you look at the past and of course you are present to uh, see what did you do, how did you do it, what did you go through, what can I do right from looking up you. Um, I I do want to mention uh, I will be muting myself here pretty soon periodically because my daughter is going to be coming home and. She's three years old. She's kind of a chatter horse. So, uh, you know, I, I'll mute myself and, and, and try to be 
as respectful as possible. Yeah. She, she might have something really valuable to offer. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. I mean, she might even offer a cogent analysis of the meaning of the face of smell. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. so she'll probably run screaming from the room when the first time she sees the faceless man <laughs> nice piece of makeup uh, and if, uh, if if James had had even more money he could have done you know, even more with that makeup and uh, you know, oh, so, yeah, sure. yeah but yeah. Now, why have I never cast you <laughs> when when were you uh, when, when I was See, I have, I, I, you know, after leaving Australia really to start again in America um, mm -hmm. in 1990, you know, I would come back for television series that Americans would commission and they'd get me because they, you know, they'd, they'd found me in America and thought I'd, they'd, they'd send me back to Australia. But so I made yeah. flippers and time tracks and, you know, Sahara and, uh, um, you know, various wow. other episodics during the, the uh, second half of the 90s. And, and the, but were you ever up for roles in that? or? No, I don't think so. Like, I've only been in the States 11 years, but I, I tend to go back. I started my acting career when I was 38, so I started quite late. Um, and uh, it's been quite a journey since then. I've been really blessed with a lot of the roles. It's been a little quiet um, of late because of COVID. Uh, um, but, yeah, I'm going back to Australia for a few more roles. But I do love working in Australia. Like, it, it, my, I love the jobs I've had here. Amazing opportunities working in Saving Mr Banks and, um, you know, Criminal Minds and Sons of Anarchy. And I love that. But... I, I still have a strong passion for Australian um, yeah, so do I. I, just, I just love it, you know. Um, yeah. There's nothing quite like working with an Australian crew. I mean, yeah, no, I but, think but, yeah, British, you know, Italian, you know, you know Chinese, Filipino, uh, you know, Canadian, American crews, they're, they're all good in their way. Uh, but yeah. just something about an Australian crew, uh, and that kind of esprit de corps, that that, that enthusiasm that was born from a, an industry that you know that basically had to create itself from nothing, uh, with a bit mm. of government support, of course, yeah. initially. Yeah. Uh, but there's yeah you know, um, uh, you know there's a pride in the Australian film industry. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I hope that after COVID <laughs> and with the new economy. Uh, which is going to you know, make fewer cinema films and more more product for streaming. Um, yeah. More movies that will now be spread out over 10 episodes, which in mm. some cases will not be a good idea, uh, but in other cases it will be. Um, yeah. I, the, 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 the streaming series Queen's Gambit about this, chess prodigy. Oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I, I think it's originally intended to be a movie. But it, they figured yeah, we can't do justice to this. And so mm. yeah, expanded it and it's a brilliant series. And oh I love it. Yeah. I'm watching a lot of good streaming at the moment. It's in the horror capacity, because this is after all horror yeah, site and I should be exploding some heads right now, uh, just to keep your, mm. your listeners interested. Um, uh, there's quite a lot of good stuff on, on Netflix and Prime 
Um, mm. uh, and uh, I, did you I think it's a Korean uh, zombie series? I think it's called God. Train uh, from the Sun. Sorry, Kingdom. Kingdom. That's right, Kingdom. Three seasons. Yeah, I think season two has a battle scene with the zombies that spreads over two episodes. Goes even wow. longer than a Game of Thrones battle scene. And uh, really wow. inventive ways of disposing of zombies. Um, but I, what I liked about uh, Kingdom was it was a blend of uh, Game of Thrones uh, in medieval uh, Korea um, with The Walking Dead. Uh, and as such, it was, was a, a great deal of fun. Um, but Netflix have kind of thrown the idea around to all their different uh, uh, suppliers in different countries and, and said, you know, let, let's do some more riffs on The Walking Dead in, 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 in period uh, and in your culture. So the French came up with a kind of French Revolution uh, era uh, version where there are zombies uh, who are you know, getting involved in, or who are obstructing. Uh, well, it's, most of the zombies are uh, Aristos who've been, you know, uh, evil Aristos who've been raised from the from the dead. Um, mm. But that's a that's a fun series. Um, the Koreans have recently done what's called currently Sisyphus. Um, which is uh, uh, an interesting paranormal you know, riff on uh, Terminator, where people from the future come back to fix the, 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 the present or the past. Uh, but it's got all sorts of interesting you know, ripples in it and has, has some, some nice sort of shock moments. There's a German oh, one, dark. Sounds uh, great. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of good, good horror to be had. Um, uh, and, of course, when you get into Asian horror and uh, you know, J horror and K horror, um, there's a lot of great stuff there. And uh, um, um, are you familiar with the film called uh, I Saw the Devil? No, I don't think That's so. A Korean, Korean serial killer cannibal film. Um, wow. With pretty extreme sequences in it but really stylishly done and classy uh, and, you know, you know, a, a really good, you know, horror movie that, you know, not mm. non-supernatural. Uh, but uh, so you know, the best horror films, I think, are coming out of uh, you know, non-English language countries. Yes. My point. Well, I did one, Brian, and I think the other guys know about it. It was called Living Space. It was done by a guy in Australia, his first feature. Um, it doesn't go – oh, sorry, it's a, it's a short, but I think it probably goes for about 40 minutes. But he was an ex-police officer, um, and he, his passion for writing. And it was set in a, um, you know, a couple of tourists, uh, American tourists in Germany – and they end up breaking down, obviously, in, in a you know in the, a desolated road, and there's a house there. And basically, I'm an SS officer whose whole family, um, uh, you know, is living in the house as ghosts. And it really, like, it did well. It hasn't. It, it, I think it's streaming somewhere. David might know it is streaming, but he did a really oh, good job of his first. I saw it, I think it was Channel 10. 
Living Space. Oh, up. okay. And yeah, uh, I watched space. it. I did speak with um, Stephen Spiel before he brought it out, and so I remembered yeah. it, and I saw, oh, Channel 10. Um, yeah, I'll watch it. And it, I, I thought it was a feature. I th- well, it oh, might have been. I can't, can't quite remember, but it look, it, it had a few things that needed to be fit. But, like, honestly, for his first film, I think he did really well. And the setting and the genre and the, the environment and everything, I think it worked really well. Um, mm, but good. maybe it, uh, it is streaming. I think it's streaming on one of those platforms. But if ever you find it, I'd just be interested to see what you think, Brian. Um, okay. And Mark, well, if you I'm get real. to watch it. Well, gentlemen, I'm afraid I have to go and do something now. This occasionally happens in Oregon. Um, and, uh, um, but it's been very nice to talk to you. And uh, I, I thank you, you know, for your interest and your appreciation and my films. And uh, you know, I hope you, you know, read the book and enjoy it and, um, and tell other people to read it. <laughs> yes, I'll be definitely uh, passing that around with my students and that for sure, and the actors, absolutely. Well, I have to, because we barely scratched the surface. I think there was Leprechaun and The Howling that, uh, and a few others we were going to ask about. Yeah. Well, we'll have to do that on another occasion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're very happy to come back and talk to you all uh, and maybe, ah, Leprechaun 3. I did want to show yes. you this because I did make a uh, golden case of the leprechaun on vhs oh. i i actually got all of the leprechaun movies in like you know this the gold casing oh well, wow interesting <laughs> factoid uh do you do you know who is the voice of the computer in leprechaun 3 uh did you do the voice yes anyway, <laughs> it's me doing the accent yes so we, we needed to, to have, you know, we need to tell the audience the rules of the leprechaun and, uh, and his magic, etc. So what better than a CD-ROM that uh, so, so had this pawnbroker happens to have uh, conveniently and he puts it in the computer and plays it. And so I was able to write the rules the way we wanted the rules to play in the movie. So um, actually I, I did the narration myself uh, in, in my Irish accent that uh, it wanders really from County Cork to Belfast and back several <laughs> times in, the, in, in one sentence. It's really an embarrassment yeah, right. for all Irish people listening to it. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I was lucky to escape with me life when I went and made a film in Dublin. But anyway, forgive me. <laughs> well, anyway, thank you, gentlemen. It's been very nice talking to you. Yeah, nice uh, to meet you. Uh, yes, thank you for coming on the show, Brian. I really appreciate you coming on. Same with Andy. Uh, is you know, as signing off, is there anything else that you guys want to let the listeners know to maybe check out or, uh, or you know, any websites you want them to go to or, or merch or anything like that? Um, I, I'd just like to say, uh, probably not about that, but just anyone who's listening to this starting off or halfway through their career or wherever they are, and just uh, as Brian said before, don't give up, you know, like just do, if it's what you really love, then you find ways to pay the bills somehow, but you've got to keep doing what you love because when you do that, you have no idea what's going to happen. You just don't. If you keep at it and you're intentional about it, something will happen eventually. That's right. 
Well, goodbye, folks. I'm going to sign off. You guys continue talking, and I'm going to hit the end button. Very nice to, to spend time with you. Thank yeah, you very much. Same, Brian. Bye-bye. Thank Thanks. Yes, I'm going to head off uh, as well because I've got to get to this uh, other appointment. So, um, but, yeah, I'm sure we can do it again at some stage, you know. Right, yeah. There, there was a few other uh, things that we didn't really get to talk about you know like uh the home i'd, I'd love to know more about that well, short horror film. well I, i've got a uh, hang on i've got a couple minutes before i get to this next appointment their home that was the priest correct yes yeah that was great that was a guy i forget oh it was through one of my managers i had here a few years ago and yeah he's a young filmmaker and that and look i love that it was the irish priest but i don't know if you know but he based that on a true story uh, back, I don't know how many years ago it was, but they were actually, um, they were building, they were landscaping, and when they were digging in this particular area, they started finding bones. And the history of it is, he said, this particular home uh, back in the day where they were taking wayward mothers and children in, they were actually murdering most of them. And that's that's where he got his idea to do this film. It's not obviously he's changed it a bit with the zombie type creature, but he said it is based on fact that um, uh, yeah, there was like there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of babies that were murdered, um, oh, and the mothers would come back years later or whenever to come back and see their children and say, oh no, they've been adopted out, and they actually weren't. You know, um, it's quite interesting. But, yeah, that was very cool. I loved the way he filmed it. And, uh, you know, um, I, don't, I don't know what happened to it. I don't think he ever got the feature up. But it's the same thing again, mate. It's money, you know. It's right. so hard to get, to get the money up. Like all these guys that we've talked about, their films are all, all good. And, and my friend who's doing this horror film uh, in Melbourne at the moment, uh, you might want to get him on the show because I, I, David Gillian's his name. Um, and I started working with him, coaching him just for acting and through all the work we were doing, writing and such, he said, wow, he said, I really like writing. So now he's got this web series he's written. I think he's into about his third, uh, third series and he's looking for money. He's going to shoot uh, in three weeks. He's going to shoot a bit of a trailer, but it's a great story, all Australian. It's all in the outback. It's really cool. And it's about zombies. It's called Hilltown. But same again, it's getting people together, it's getting someone to produce, it's finding the money. So um, uh, I think he'd be great to get on your show, you know? Oh, um, oh yeah, most most definitely. Because he's right in the middle of it now. Like, he hasn't shot anything, and I, I still work with him. Like, our coaching has more or less gone now to helping him with the film. You know, just little bits and pieces with dialogue or character work and... Um, and also, you know, helping him say, you know, like you're going to shoot in three weeks. Well, then you better, you better get your cast together, mate, and start doing some rehearsal, you know, um, and, and get things organised. You don't want to just walk onto a set cold for a trailer when no one knows each other. And it's just part of learning how to do all this. So, um, but you know, that's that's the deal of this business. You know. It, it's not, it is all, it's, it's wonderful business to be in in a career, but hey, there's a lot of work you've got to do if you want to stay in it. And there's a lot of actors that are working full time and writers and producers and directors. 
but that's only a small percentage. The rest, the rest of us, including myself, um, we've just got to keep at it. And I'm, I'm a character actor, so sometimes I'm working a lot, and other times I'm not. So that's the way it is, you know. Um, right. You just got to keep at it. You got to keep at it. For sure, for sure. Well, uh, you know, if if he's able to come on the show, maybe we could get you back on as well, uh, since. Uh, you know, you, you guys yeah. well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll uh, try and get hold of, because um, uh, he doesn't live far from me. I think he hit pause or something. Well, yeah, he's hit pause. I don't know if he's gone or not. But uh, thanks for having me on the show. I'm, I'm happy to be on with people who've been a major influence to me and are really big right. stars. Right. Right. I don't know how I'm going until my um, two features drop, but I do know one thing. If they flop, I'm still going to make another film. It's like an addiction. Right. Yeah. you, you got to persevere through the ups and downs. And, you know, just just like Brian and Andy have said, you, you got to keep going forward, keep pushing it. You know, this is your desire, your, your ambition, uh, you know, become obsessed with it like what brian was saying yeah, oh i have been if you love it. it's been five years around the clock no no kidding since the first uh, film set i thought look i'm just going to put a little bit of hard work and work around the clock to get myself started and i still don't feel that i'm started and i really went into panic mode when the lockdowns happened which toxic alien zombie babes just organized all of the different shoots from around the world i'd uh, up first thing in the morning. Um, I've been so bad with working around the clock that the people that know me um, understand that, I'll, that suddenly I'll stop remembering things because I've pushed myself to exhaustion. So, um, yeah, um, I'm not going to do that for the next 20 years. It would be impossible. But just to get to this stage, um, I have treated it like a bad obsession. And, uh, yeah, um, that seems to be the story. You, you can't get there if you're going to be half-assed and you have to, you're all in or you're not there at all. Well, that was the interview with Brian Trenchard-Smith, Andy McPhee, and David Black. I know we kind of uh, ended it abruptly because uh, Andy was having some technical difficulties on his end and uh, just, you know, the call was abruptly short on his end. Uh, so, you know, apologies for uh, uh, some of those uh, little mishaps, but I mean, they happen. And uh, I'm just thankful that uh, Brian and Andy were able to come onto the show because really everybody was on different time zones. So, having to set this up within like, I think, may, possibly four different time zones. Uh, was uh, pretty incredible just for that. Just, you know, everything being able to line up to where it would work. So, uh, I, uh, you know, I can't believe I pulled it off. But, uh, yeah, so some of the topics, uh, just because this is like an hour, you know, 15, 20 minutes long, there were some topics I, I wish we would have touched on, but you know, with with the short time that we had, uh, 
you know, I, th- I thought this is a pretty cool conversation. I, I enjoyed listening. And, uh, you know, one of these days I would love to have Brian back on to talk more on uh, possibly like strictly the horror side of things, even though I did enjoy the exploitation side because, you know, personally, I do want to know more about exploitation films. And so it was very cool to hear some of that insight. But, you know, on the horror side of things, he's done some rather awesome horror films. Uh, I definitely want to know more about Night of the Demons 2 because uh, that film's pretty awesome for being a sequel to an already incredible 80s horror film. Uh, You know, I definitely want to know more about that. And then, uh, of course, the Leprechaun series. I mean, who doesn't love the Leprechaun series? So, uh, you know, want to have him back on and, you know, we can talk more about his book and uh, and the the horror side of things, and as well as Andy, you know he he was bringing up uh, you know might be able to talk about uh, the home with uh, the people involved in that, and uh, you know just being able to talk more about uh, the horror side of things with uh, with Andy McPhee, uh, I would I would love to have that happen. So. Uh, uh, with all that said, uh, I, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and uh, you know, thank you all who came on the show today because I, I really enjoyed having everyone on and hearing everybody's story. Uh, it's 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 very much appreciated on the, on the Root Horror Podcast side of things. So uh, thank you, and I just want to say thank you to the listeners for sticking around and listening to me. Uh, talk to all these incredible people over the past year and a half. Um, you know, I'm creeping up on uh, two years in October. So this has been an incredible ride for me. And I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. So uh, I just want to say thank you all for who have stuck around so long and listened to the podcast. Um, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Rude Horror Podcast. I'm also on Twitter at Root Horror Pod, or you can go to my Linktree at linktree.com forward slash Root Horror Podcast. That's where you can find all the links to pretty much everything I'm connected with. And uh, and yeah, there's also a uh, support section on my Linktree. If you want to go to that and you want to support the show, donate at least, you know, like a dollar a month towards the show uh it it definitely goes a long way with uh helping the show get better in in every aspect and and you know if you do donate i i i definitely appreciate your support it does mean a lot to me so thank you to everyone who who does support the show um that's about all i got for you like i said uh mortal kombat is gonna be the next topic I know I've been kind of pushing a lot of content this week, but I had to make up for the one week where I wasn't putting out a lot of content. And, you know, just really in general, there's been a lot to talk about. So I'm glad I could push out like, you know, almost four episodes in in less than two weeks. So it's, it's very cool. I hope you guys enjoy and I hope it's not too much for you. But at the same time, uh, I think I think you got a lot of content to listen to for a while. So, with that said, uh, I'm about to sign off here and uh, s- stay tuned for the next one.
The Root Horror Podcast would like to thank Pit Lord and Evil Deadbeats for providing music to the show.